0: to be with you guys and welcome if you're listening on, online as well. I heard, um, heard a story of a guy and uh, he went to his priest some time ago, a long time ago, he went to his, the, the priest and he said, um, he said, Father, it's just impossible. He said, there's nine of us living in one room. We, we, just can't, we just can't live like this any longer. What should I do? And the priest said, have you got a goat? And he said, we have got a goat. Why do you ask? He said, Take the goat and put, bring the goat into the room with you. He's like, you, you must be mad. He's like, do what I say and come back in a week. Anyway, the next week the, the guy comes back and he says, Father, it's just impossible. The goat is a nightmare. He eats everything. He stay, keeps us awake at night. He's filthy. We cannot live with this goat any longer. One day longer. We can't cope with it. And the priest says, go back home. Put the goat back outside. Come back in a week. The guy comes back in a week filled with life. He said, Father, it's amazing. Now that it's just the nine of us and no goat, we're loving it. We're loving it. The point being, of course, it's so easy, isn't it, to look for the next thing, to look for what we want to change, to look for the next breakthrough and forget to be thankful for what we have. Now that we haven't got a goat in here, wow, it's amazing. So easy to, to forget. And, I, and just in this season, as we finish another academic year, I just wanted us to begin by let's just give thanks to God for a moment. So why don't you just turn to the person next to you, and maybe say, here's one thing that I'm thankful for. It's one thing that God has done this year that I'm thankful for. It might be that I'm not living with a goat, but I'm sure it's more profound than that. One thing that you're thankful for. Just take a moment, Sherry. Let's just take a moment to give thanks to him. Let's just take a moment, shall we, just to, to give thanks to him for this year, for all that he's done. <clears throat> yeah, Father, we just, we're just such a grateful people. Yes, yes. We're so God. grateful uh, to you for all that you've done, for your hand on us as a community, for your life working through us. In, the, in a year that has many struggles and challenges, both personally and nationally, we want to thank you, God, for all that you've done and all that you are. <laughs> We give you thanks for the miracles, for the breakthroughs, for the answered prayers. We thank you, Father, for the provision, the fact that we can breathe and have food to eat and can pay the rent or the mortgage. We thank you, Father, that these things which we so easily take for granted, we are grateful to you. And we, we bless you, Lord, as we finish another year, as we move into a time, a season of rest before a new one begins. We thank you, God, for all you've done amongst us, for all you are to us. everything comes as a gift of your grace we don't deserve any of it but you have given us your undeserved favor and we thank you father in your name amen amen well this morning I just wanted to um, on a similar theme really to look back and um, I wanted to look back and reflect back on what God's done with us as a community in in the in the sense of uh, teaching us about being a family on mission and um, uh, you know I wanted to just kind of summarise and some, bring some stuff that we've learned before, some new stuff perhaps, but make sure that we're all on the same page, because I feel like this year has been a phenomenal shift in our community in terms of being a community, a family on mission together. Certainly uh, in our family it has been, and I hope it has been for you. God has taught us some key things over the years actually that I think we need to just reflect on, make sure that we've got hold of before we move on on the journey ahead. And, And the big news, I guess the big headline is that God is a God of mission, that he's not sitting in some Office, head office somewhere telling us out to go and we're kind of like the uh, double glazing salesman out trying to sell something that people don't want and bothering people no, no no he is already the God on mission he is the God on mission it's his idea it's his mission had, had you got that point that he is on mission and he is saying the father is saying to our sons daughters come and join me you were born, I made you to change this world, I made you to change this world, one life at a time, one community at a time, one nation at a time. I, you were designed and born to, I gave birth to you to change the world. And, and that's, the, that's our DNA, that's who we are. Until we discover that purpose, we really haven't discovered what we were made for. And when we understand that, we are meant to be about our Father's business. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? My Father is always working and I am also working. We are about and made to be about our Father's business transforming this planet together with him. And so just to to summarise, to recap, and we'll have some time to talk together about what we've learned, how we've observed this. And if you're not a believer here today, then you probably came here invited by someone who's already discovered that they are on mission, that their job is to draw you in. And so you get to see the inside story of what they've been doing and what they've been thinking and how they've been acting and you get to join them and do the same yourself when you're ready. The three words I think summarise it are this. Firstly, where? Where is God already at work? You know, I grew up never hearing a single message about the kingdom of God. I went to church pretty much every Sunday for the first 15 or 16 years of my life, and I never heard one single message on the kingdom of God. And yet when Jesus came, it was the primary thing that he taught us about. He came and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And there wasn't anyone there who was in the back row putting their hand up saying, what do you mean by the kingdom of God? What on earth are you talking about? Because everyone understood it everyone understood God's kingdom. Everyone understood what were they were. All their question was, was, when's it coming? They knew what the kingdom was and what it was going to be because they'd read the prophet Isaiah. They'd read the prophets who came before Jesus and all of these guys summarized in Isaiah 61 said this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Feel free to get happy at any point because those are some of the most amazing words ever spoken by, everyone, by anyone. And when Isaiah prophesied that and Jesus summarized those at the beginning of his ministry, what he's saying is this, that stuff has just arrived. That stuff has just hit your town. And that's why people got excited. That's why they flocked to Jesus, because their question wasn't, what is it? Their question was, when's it coming? And he said, it's coming now. It's coming now. And when we start to see this and, and, and you start to see in that passage and in others through Isaiah the signs of the kingdom, that when God's kingdom comes, it comes with freedom, the opening of prison to those who are bound. It comes with justice, liberty to the captives. It comes with peace, the year of the Lord's favour talked about peace with God and peace between men. It comes with joy, the oil of gladness. It comes with God's presence. The Spirit of the Lord will do this. It comes with healing. He will bind up the brokenhearted. It comes with comfort, to comfort all who mourn. And I had never, ever seen this. And I remember where I was. I was sitting in my, we had a little guest room in our house. Uh, in Bedford in Winifred Road in Queen's Park and I was sitting in my office and I was reading Stassen and Gushy's book, Kingdom Ethics. And as I read this whole section on the kingdom for the first time, I got it and it suddenly hit me because before that point, I used to think that evangelism was us going out and trying to persuade people to do something or to believe something they didn't want to believe. And suddenly I realised that yes, salvation is part of it, but it's just a small part of it. It's the end game, but ultimately there's a whole lot of other stuff that God wants to do his kingdom is coming and sometimes before people can ever receive the kingdom they first need to experience the kingdom they first need to see the kingdom come and and I got the revelation right there and 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 I don't know what I did I I want to feel like I did a little jig but that doesn't sound like me I I wish I was in the bath and I could have leapt out and shouted eureka but I wasn't I was just sitting at my desk and I put down the book and I thought this changes everything this changes everything I can picture myself there And the question for for us as a community is, have you got it? Have you understood why and how this changes everything? Because when you do get it, when this does sink in, you start to see the world differently. You start to see that God is already ahead of you, that the kingdom of God is advancing. And we sometimes talk about bringing the kingdom, which I don't mind so much, but we have to be careful because the real essence is this. God's kingdom is advancing on its own. We do partner with bringing the kingdom, but primarily it's God's kingdom is advancing on its own. It is moving across a dark and a broken world, across shattered lives, across lost people, broken people, dying people, hurting people. God's kingdom is advancing. His kingdom is advancing and it's coming with joy and comfort and peace and kindness and healing and life for any who will receive it. So God's kingdom is ahead of us and we, as it were, are following up and catching up and get to see what it's doing and where he's moving, even in our own lives. And first off, we have to experience it for ourselves. And when we see that list and the signs of the kingdom and we've realized that we're not living in the fullness of it, we can say, Father, come, come into my life in that way, come into my family, but also come into the world around. The kingdom of God is advancing. And you know, and sometimes it's in the small. You know, when you tell a joke, a clean joke, and somebody laughs, that joy is a picture of the kingdom. Because Jesus said, the scriptures say, in, my pres- in his presence there is fullness of joy. So that joy when someone laughs at a joke when it's not a a filthy joke, but just a clean, honest joke, when it's a joke and they laugh, that's a little sign of the kingdom right there. Now, the ultimate joy is only found in God himself, but that little joy, the ability to laugh, to have joy, there are very few animals that can tell jokes to each other. Maybe they can in their animal way, I don't know, but you don't see much evidence of it. But we have the ability to tell jokes and for people to laugh, and that laugh right there is a sign of the kingdom. It's the foretaste that this is what life should be like, that where there's depression and heaviness, that actually that is an alien thing. That's an alien thing in our world. That's an imposter. That's a, a thing that has come in, that it isn't as God meant it to be, because in his presence there is fullness of joy. And so sometimes it's in the small. It's offering the hand of comfort. And some, some people just carry different parts of the kingdom in greater measure. I mean, my friend Mel here, if we ever have a medical emergency, like the first thing I do is pick up the phone to Mel. I just keep ringing until she answers. Why? Because as soon as she said, Hello, Simon, I feel, oh, peace. She just carries peace. I mean, she happens to work in A&E, which helps, but she carries peace <laughs> she is she is so peaceful and so she when she says hello simon just the sound of her voice gives me peace and comfort right there right there some people carry we could we can all carry this measure of the kingdom in the small in the great when you offer comfort to a friend when you sit and listen you carry something of the kingdom there because that is an alien concept in a dark and broken world You know, I remember, I've told you the story before. It's When I uh, was chatting to a guy, he came to the Alpha course, and he'd given his life to Christ. And we were talking a few weeks. He was just a new believer, and we were chatting. And he said, um, um, I said, how did he come? He said, well, he said, I got this text message from a friend. It was one night, it was about 6 o'clock, and I got a text message. He said, would you like to come to Alpha tonight? And we talked about it before. And he said, and I replied, yes. And I came and he said my whole life has been turned upside down because I, ter- because I replied yes <laughs> to that message. That little seed of the kingdom. He said. But then his head began to spin because he said, what if I'd said no? What if I just didn't feel like it? What if I'd said no? And he began to understand how small and seemingly fragile the kingdom is. It starts like a seed. It starts like a text message or a word of comfort or a word of encouragement or a word of kindness or an offer for help or an act of generosity. It can start with a simple, tiny thing. And we get the privilege to bring that stuff, to partner with that stuff in the small Sometimes it's in the big. A friend of mine, Paul, was just telling me this week, he was uh, going to visit a friend of his who's dying of cancer. And he was in the hospice and he took another friend and they had been friends for like 20 years. And as they were just uh, chatting, he said, what should have been a morbid exp- um, time actually it was just full of laughter. We reminisced, we laughed. We had, he said it was just an amazing time. And he said, as I was leaving in the bed opposite, I noticed there was another guy in a hospice, obviously so equally dying, and I looked at him and he looked at me, and I kind of acknowledged him, and he said, "Well, you guys are having a good time." And I said, "Yeah." And Paul said, "Yeah." And he said, "We are, we have." And He said, uh, "How come?" Wow. He said, "Well, and he went to be with him, and he said, "We're Christians, and my friend is about to go and meet the person that we've loved all our lives. He's about to go and meet Jesus. To be honest, I'm a little bit jealous." He said, and so we're laughing because of a, a lifetime following this guy, and, and we've just got so much joy, and he's just about to go and meet him, and so we just had a good time. This is our last time probably we'll see each other. He said within 20 minutes, he led that guy to the Lord. Aww. It began with a moment of joy, <laughs> because that's the kingdom right there. Out of that moment, in the small, in the big, You know, there's a guy, he gave his testimony, didn't he, a few weeks ago when he got baptised. And he said, I was was driving down the M1, towards the M1, just near Brogborough. And the Holy Spirit fell on me as I began to pray for almost the first time. You know, you've got to know it's God. No offence to Brogborough, but you've got to know it's God. (laughs) You've got to know it's God. You've got to know it's God. His presence, that's a sign of the kingdom as it comes on people. Another guy was telling me, he, they just in their church, one of the churches we're connected with, they just baptised their first two Muslim believers. One of them, as he told his story of his baptism, he was a gambling addict. And in the night, Jesus appeared to him and told him how to get free from gambling. He woke up the next day, he's never gambled again. He gave his life to Christ, got baptised, is now part of their church. <laughs> Love that. That's the kingdom right there. That's the kingdom justice, the injustice of addiction, the brokenness, the captivity of it. Jesus just comes in. And sometimes it happens in the instantaneous, and sometimes it's a journey over many years. It doesn't actually matter how it comes, but it's that it comes. That's critical for us. And our job is twofold. Firstly, then is where is God moving? Where do we see the signs of the kingdom? It begins life then as an adventure of seeing it. a man dying in a hospice sees a touch of joy a, a, a guy in a dream gets free from addiction where, where is the kingdom moving already and then the other thing is where do, where does it need to move where does it need to move we when we understand this we suddenly become sensitized we the Bible describes us as aliens in this world some of you are like, I feel like an alien. No, you really are an alien. You really are an alien. You're an alien. This world is not meant to fit. When you read the news, when you talk to a friend who's in a distressing time, when you're struggling yourself, when it feels like this world is just not right, that's how you're meant to feel because this world is not right. And the trouble is we sometimes get dis- desensitized to that and we feel like we fit but we don't fit. We are meant to live as aliens, as people traveling through to another world, a better world. And so when this world doesn't feel right, there should be something that rises up in us. Something that says, this is not right. You know, it says, there's um, this moment where Jesus is standing by the tomb of a friend, his friend Lazarus. And it's interesting, John, the writer of that gospel, he uses a word, which basically means to, be, to snort like a horse ready for battle. He uses uses another word, tarasso, which means to be churned like the sea. And so Jesus, standing by the tomb, is like snorting like a horse ready for battle. He's churning on the inside. I think that's something of how we need to live as believers. That where we see the opposite of the kingdom, where we see distress and turmoil and darkness and destruction, there should be something that rises up within us. There should be something that, that, that makes us prepare for action. That makes us feel, God, the kingdom's got to come here. What is it for you? What is it for you? John G. Lake, one of the great healing evangelists, wrote this as he saw his sister, about I think it was the fifth member of his family dying of cancer. He said this, A great cry to God, such as never before, came from my soul. And it went up to God. She must not die. I would not have it. Had not Christ died for her, no words of mine can convey to another soul the cry that was in my heart and the flame of hatred for death and sickness that the Spirit of God had stirred within me. The very wrath of God possessed my soul. How about us? Are we churning? Against the things in this world that aren't right. Because when we, are, when we start to get that churning, then we start to see the where. Where is the kingdom moving? Where should it move? And it starts to prepare us for action, for our part in this. The second uh, thing is the who. Paul, one of the, uh, Jesus' earliest followers, is in Corinth. It's getting pretty sticky because what's happening is people are rejecting his message. And, and he'd been beaten and stoned in various other places. And so you can imagine, is it time to flee? Is it time to stay? You know, he, he was bold, but he wasn't suicidal. And he's at this point of thinking, should I, should I stay? Should I go? And what happens is Jesus appears to him in a dream. And it says this, Jesus said to him in the dream, don't be afraid, go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And that line's always stood out to me, I have many in in this city who are my people. It stands out to me because Paul had just arrived and no one in the city had heard the gospel before. No one even knew about Jesus in this city. Paul was the first person to come and tell them about Jesus. And yet Jesus says, I've got many people in this city. What's the point? He's outside of time. (laughs) He is outside of time and so he sees into time and he knows who will respond to him. And he already calls them his own. He calls them his own. You know, before you gave your life to follow Jesus, he called you his own. He called you his own. He knew you and he called you his own. And it's the same for others now. There are those who are not sitting here this morning or in any community who Jesus calls his own. Our job is to find them. Our job is to find them and to tell them the news that they have been waiting to hear all their lives. I don't know about you, but when, when I first understood and got the gospel, it was the news that I've been waiting to hear all my life. I just never got it. I'd never fully understood it before, but I've been waiting to hear it. And there are people who are out there. The who is the second part. And, and so Jesus sending out his earliest followers. When he sends them out, and we'll read it in Luke 10, says this, The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns that he planned to visit These were his instructions. The harvest is great, say great, but the workers are few, say few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place. Eat and drink what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality, because those whose work, those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever set before you, heal the sick, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. Notice those words we referred to in a moment, a moment ago. Then he said to the disciples Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me, and anyone who rejects you is rejecting me, and anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. And out of that passage, we can draw pr- three principles. Jesus was showing them, how do they know who is the who? How do they know who the who of Jesus' people are? Who are the people that Jesus has prepared in advance for this message? Who he's sending us to? How do you know? And the three things he tells them this. Firstly, the pe- it's the people who welcome you. Whoever welcomes you into their home. It's the towns, it's the places, it's the people who welcome you. Secondly, it's the people who serve you. He says, notice this, he says, eat what's set before you. So therefore, there are some people who will just serve you, who will naturally, they'll become a relationship. It's not just about them serving you. Somebody like, great, free dinner. No, no, it's not just about them serving you. It's about a relationship where you get into, where you serve one another, where you connect with people. It's not just kind of uh, uh, impersonal. There's a connection forms as we serve one another, but particularly as they serve you. And the third thing is, as they listen to you, whoever accepts your message accepts me, is what Jesus is saying. Those who welcome you, those who serve you, those who listen to you. Those people around you, Jesus says, those are the people who are the people of peace. The people that he has got his name on very often. And, and, and they're often not what you expect. I, I remember my, my, a different friend, Paul, he told me his story. It's always stood with me. I, I love the story. And he was praying God, he said, he had been understood these things, he taught his family, he taught his church these things, and yet he himself didn't have a person of peace that he could connect with. He's like, God, you've got to give me a person of peace. And you've got him, my daughters, my wife, everyone's got a person of peace that they're, they're, they know that you've called them to apart from me. You've got to give me a person of peace. And then into his mind comes a guy, a guy and a lady, his wife, who were neighbors, and and this couple were, to be honest, a bit chaotic. They were both alcoholics, their lives were a bit of a mess, and his first thought as these people came into his mind were, no, Lord, no, not them not them. They were, just, they were just in turmoil. Their whole lives were just kind of surrounded by chaos, the drink and everything. He wasn't judging them for alcoholism, but just—it just, they were just chaotic people. And he's like, no, Lord, not them. And, and so he's praying, God, you've got to give me a person of peace. You've got to send someone. I need someone. As he's praying the prayer, the doorbell rings. He goes to the doorbell, opens the door, and the guy of the couple is standing there. And to the... <laughs> to add insult to injury, he is wearing a T-shirt from the brand Disciple. <laughs> you can't get much clearer than that. <laughs> and so Paul's like, okay, Lord. And he begins to reach out. Anyway, both of this couple uh, give their lives to the Lord. They both come, uh, come to know Jesus And um, they were then plugged in and become key members of the church that he began, got free from their alcoholism. So it's sometimes not the people that we would want it to be or even the people we expect it to be. But we've got to recognize this is not our mission. This is God's mission. And there are people that he is bringing us to that we might not expect you know, in the last few months as we've been on this journey. Caroline, we've been praying as a family and every Tuesday morning now we pray with the kids, we pray together and say, God, show us and help us with our people of peace. And we've all got people that that, um, that we feel the Lord has led us to. One of them came from uh, Caroline being at the gym. Again, a lot of our stories come from Caroline at the gym. Uh, She's not there as often as it sounds. Uh, (laughs) But she was there, and there was a guy at the door who was on the the exercise bike and was just like welcoming everyone who came in. But he was clearly just a member of the gym, but he was welcoming everyone. To the point that Caroline thought, I've got to talk to this guy. And so she said said to him, hey, you should be paid to do what you're doing. You're the best welcomer they've got, which is basically no one. and he said, and they just began chatting and during the conversation he said, Do you know what? He said, I knew that I needed to talk to you today. I knew that I needed to talk to you. That was our first sign. Anyway, I've got to know him. He's kind of had come over. He's come over for dinner. I've taken him to Friday night meeting, which is our homeless kind of outreach thing. Because we, we, he had an interest in that. I've given him a book to read over the summer about Jesus. But it began with a simple welcome, with a simple hey, with a simple encouragement. It began a whole journey. Here's a guy here that we feel is a person of peace in our world that the Lord is leading us to. What does it look like for each one of us? You know, whenever I ask and talk on this stuff now, I ask people, do you feel like you already know who your people of peace are? Just raise a hand if you feel like you already know who they are. It's interesting, isn't it? If you don't, then I would say, get some time now. And two things, if you don't know who they are, get some time, take some time over the summer and say, Lord, you sent your disciples to find people of peace. I need to find mine. <laughs> if you do, if you already know who they are, the question is this, are you giving them enough time? Because when I've asked this question and when I've looked in my own heart, what I realise is often we know who they are, but we don't give them the time they need. And that comes on to the third thing. Firstly, the where. Secondly, the who. Thirdly, the What? What is he asking us to do then? And and I think it's summarised really in four words. Presence, blessing, hospitality, and dialogue. Presence, blessing, hospitality, and dialogue. Presence, where is God calling me to be present? How is he wanting me to change my rhythm, to, to live my life so that I'm just around people? Notice how Jesus was just with people. He walked with them. He talked with them. He ate with them. Discipleship is as simple often as having a meal with somebody. When we are called to reach out on God's mission, very often it doesn't mean changing masses of what we do. We don't have to sell everything necessarily and move to another country. It just means living mindfully with presence. Presence with God and presence with other people. Walking through life with an awareness that this is what I was called to do. Presence. What does it mean? Does it mean going to the same place to buy you a sandwich every day? Does it mean uh, walking down the same streets every day? Does it mean just being present in your family and actually connecting and listening? Second thing is blessing. Who does God want us to bless? Maybe it's praying for healing. Maybe it's giving a gift. Maybe it's taking some time to listen. Jesus did all of those things. Spending time with the untouchables, offering to pray for healing. Who does God call out, calling you to Bless. Maybe it's about hospitality. Who is he asking you to open your home? You know, when Jesus met two of his earliest disciples, they said, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. And they just came to his house. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. They stayed there for the rest of the day. The next day, Andrew, one of those two guys, finds his brother and he says, we found the Messiah. (laughs) This guy's life gets turned upside down just by going to Jesus' home and spending time with him. I've heard so many people tell that same story. I'd heard all the good news about Jesus, but it was when I went to somebody's home and spent some time with them that they invited me in that things began to change. And maybe it's about dialogue. Who does God just want you to listen to and talk to? You know, Jesus was a master question asker. He asked 307 questions in the Gospels. 307 questions. I used to think to be on God's mission meant being the answer man. Having the answers for everybody's issues. you know what? Jesus was asked 183 questions, and he only answered three of them. I mean, talk about avoiding. He only answered three questions. He spent more time asking questions. For every question that he answered, he asked 100 questions. That's a lesson for us all right there. I've begun to realize it's not about having all the answers. It's about asking the right questions. Because revelation begins when people get the answer themselves. And very often the seeds of the kingdom are already in there. You've just got to discover them. You've just got to ask them what their, God has already put into their hearts. Who, where, what. Just finish with an example of something we've learned this year. I was, I, I, one thing you need to know about me is I hate buying cars. I have a pathological allergy to buying cars. Whenever I feel like I need to buy a new car, the pressure starts to build internally. I've made some real blunders and lived with them a long time over buying cars. And so as our car recently died, I was suddenly sweating as I had to buy this new car. And so I began looking online and we talked to the family and we found the car that we wanted to buy. After weeks and weeks of looking, I found the type of car that we wanted. And so we were gonna go and view one of these cars a particular night. And as we were going, in the morning, there was exactly the same car parked in the King's Arms car park. Same year, same color, same model. I was like, it's a sign. Because we were going that night to look at it. I was like, it's a sign. God God is with me. God, you, you know my vulnerability. You're with me. As we were driving, and we were taking a friend to help us look at cars because I never look at them on my own anymore. Because then I've got someone to blame. And so as we were going to look at this car, and um, as we were driving out, as we pulled out of our street that evening to go, another car, same colour, same model, same make, pulled out in front of us of the car that we were going to go and buy. I was like, hallelujah. Jesus is with me. We get, to the, we get to the place and um, see the car, it's a great car. But then we heard the lady's story, whose car it was and the reason she was selling it. And the reason she was selling it was that her partner had just left her and she's got four kids under seven at home on her own. She, she was selling the car because she had to buy a bigger car. She couldn't fit all, seven car, all four car seats in the car, so she had to buy a bigger car. And there she is, and we hear her story. And to be honest, all f- focus on the car just went <laughs> because our focus was now on her. And I had this dawning revelation. that I was so uptight about the car and all the time God was interested in her. I mean, it wasn't, that he didn't care about the car. We need a car, that's fine. We actually did end up buying the car. But the focus was on her. Wow. All the delight, all the hassle, all the fa- the, even the fact that it broke down while Caroline was driving it. She still saw about it. Our previous car broke down while Caroline was driving it. And so that meant that we had to buy a car now. It was all designed for us to meet her. And we met her and we heard her story, and she's so brave. And she lives about an hour and a half away. She is so brave. She is so courageous, and she end, we ended the time saying, we wish we lived closer. And then when we went back to, to as we were driving home, the guy who came come with us, he said, look, forget the money that you were going to pay me. Give the money to her. We actually did end up paying him, but we were all so moved by her situation. We gave her what, the asking price. We didn't negotiate at all. She was like, yes, thank you. I've had so much hassle over this car. And, and suddenly all the things that you worry about on buying a car just went out the window, getting the best price. All of that was just irrelevant. I wanted to give her more money. In fact, that's what we did. When we went back, we said, look, we have decided we want to give you a gift every month for a year. And we're going to give it to you every year on your... On, and we found out her, her birthday's on the 3rd. So we're going to give it to you, a gift every third of the month, every month for you, so that you know you are not on your own and that people are praying for you once a month. We ended up giving someone a, who we were buying a car more money than they were asking for. Whoever does that? Who does that? People who've understood this is not about the stuff, this is about the kingdom. Who knows where her journey will, will end? Who knows where it will go? But I want to play my part in laying a seed in her life, on praying for her on the third of every month, that God will break into her life. Because it's not just about her, it's about her four kids as well who've been left without a father. And, and that really gets me. That gets me churning on the inside. That gets me... Uh, and so I want to play my part to stand in the gap so that they know, who may never have anyone else pray for them, that there are a couple, there's this crazy couple an hour and a half away who bought a car off them, who are praying for them. And I... I, I, I I came to be honest, you, you applaud, but I came home so repentant. Because I realized, Lord, all this time I'm just fo- so focused on this stuff that's so unimportant. And you're you're focused on the people. You're focused on her, on her life, and on her hope. And it changed me. It changed something on the inside. What is it for you? Where who, what. When it comes to living out as a people on mission, we're on God's mission. He is ahead of us. We're just joining with him. The question is, where's he already working? Who's he already touching? And what's he asking us to do? Be it small or great, we can play our part. Why don't you just take a moment, just turn to, I know we normally finish praying for each other, but just take a moment, turn to the person next to you. What stood out to you from this morning? What's the next step for you on this journey of being a people on mission? Just take a moment, turn to the person next to you and say, if if what stood out is I want to go home for lunch, that's fine, you can say that, that's cool. What stood out for you? What's the next step for you?